Good morning. I greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Um, yeah, I was struck with some of the songs that we sang and appreciated them and appreciated the, the, um, <clears throat> the things you pointed out, Brother Jeff, in that one song. It's one of it's a song that's so familiar to us and has so many verses in it and says so much about it. And the basic thing is trusting and then obeying. And uh, the benefits in our Christian life when that happens is, is amazing. And God designed it that way. He designed that we operate and that we function best when we trust and obey. Like that's just, we're... We're selfish in nature, and we, we, we do our own things so quickly, and so quickly we mess things up. And then he says, well, just trust me, and then obey me, and it seems to go well. And so the song is, is very powerful in a, in a real basic way to the Christian faith. <clears throat> I'm a inviting you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. And yes, I'm going to continue our series, and it's been a while since I was here. Uh, Last time I was here, I did part two. Today is part three of a series that I put together uh, last year at home at Sandy Ridge and preached it on 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. There's four parts to it. And uh, we'll go into part number three today. And look at what God has to say to us. It was fascinating to me that um, your scripture reading, the responsive reading that we had today, talked about love. And and then the last uh, verses there are actually the last last verses of chapter 13 of uh, 1 Corinthians. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity in these three but the greatest of these is charity. And prior to that, it says, there's things, prophecies and such will pass away, but not these things. And uh, I invite you just to think about why that is. And I think I mentioned it last time that I was here. But think about that. Why, why those three remain and other things pass away, but those three remain. So think about that. And maybe we can come to a conclusion either today or if I preach the last session or the last part of this sometime up here. We'll talk about that for sure. Maybe just to help us refresh a little bit about 1 Corinthians 13 here and what Paul is trying to teach us or God is trying to teach us through the writings of Paul here. Um, If you recall that Paul, um, the Corinthian church was about five years old, there was a very young church, and already they were having issues. They were already moving away from uh, the richness and the, and the purity of that, that first love that they had when they were first converted and came to Christ, and um, there, was, there was divisions and things happening in, within the church there in Corinth that were uh, causing a lot of problems, and Paul was addressing a lot of those issues in Corinthians and we come to chapter 13 and and it's like he he sort of pauses a bit and says you know what guys 
one of your biggest issues is, is that you're forgetting how, what, what it means to love. Christian love is demonstrated in specific ways. And, and that's not what I'm seeing. I'm paraphrasing. I'm using my own words. But it's almost like that's what Paul is saying to them. You have to come back to understanding what it means to love as Christ loves. And when we live out of that, when we live out of that love, we do well with each other in our churches and with those out there. We do well. So it's a challenge for all of us. I find it very challenging. Every time I read down through this, the, the high standard, the, the bar is high for us as, as uh, God's children. And yet, it's not impossible because Christ himself lived this way. And we have his spirit, which we call the Holy Spirit, which scripture calls the Holy Spirit, within us to empower us and enable us to live this way. So let's not get into the habit of thinking that, you know what, I'm just not sure that I can do this. Or I can try to do this, but it's just not going to... No, the Holy Spirit is within you, and do we believe that he is able to do it? Or do we allow him to do it? Several things I want us to think about here in the opening, <clears throat> when we think about this kind of love, and this is called the love chapter. I'll read it here in a minute. But there's several things I want us to think about as we think about this kind of love. This is a supernatural love. It's not a natural love that we have. So we're not naturally born with this kind of sacrificial, uh, self-denying kind of love. It's not natural for us. We, 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 we rather love ourselves. We, we sort of um, look out for ourselves naturally. So when we become born again, here's the, here's the first thing that I want us to think about. When we become born again, our hearts are changed. The shape of our heart is changed. And the heart is where we, where we um, live out of this our emotions, and I'm not even going to get into all of that, but it's, that's why Scripture says we have to guard our hearts, because it's out of that that we live. But when we become born again, our heart, the shape of our heart is changed so that we can actually receive the love of God that we were just reading in the response of reading, that that love is now able to come into this reformed and reshaped heart. Before we were born again, that kind of love is foreign to us. Okay? In God's mercy, by His grace, through faith, our heart becomes different. And it's shaped so that we can, we can now receive that love. What happens there, friends, this morning is that we can now understand how. Because we receive that love, we experience it. Now we understand how that love affects others, and we are able to give it away. Okay? We're not meant to keep it. It's meant to come in, and it's meant to go out. That doesn't happen until we're born again, until that heart is, re that heart is reshaped, reformed by the loving 
kindness of God in us and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit comes in then and empowers us to love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says this, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who gave it to us. And so, this morning, the Holy Spirit enables us to love. Now, this love and the Holy Spirit working together can be, can be quenched. Or we can make, we can, we can kill this love within us when we become selfish and self-centered. So the second thing that I want us to think about. So first of all, this love, God reshapes our hearts so that we can love him. He loves us and we love him back. And then second of all, this love only grows and matures in us as we die to self. Okay? This kind of love does not, does not mature, does not become more and more, does not flourish in a selfish, self-centered kind of life. So I don't know where you're at this morning, and you can put this in any context as a Christian. You can put it in the context of your marriage, if you're married. You can put it in the context of sibling relationship, friends relationship. Uh, you can put it in the context of church, or even at work. If I live selfishly, my tendencies, even, even if I'm a Christian, even after I'm a Christian, I tend to be self-centered and self-focused, then this love will not flourish, and it cannot become what it's intended to be, and that is to bless others and to, to be an enabling agent to others. So the goal this morning in listening and going through some of these things is not so much maybe to make sure that we're loving well or that we're, that we're doing all these things that, are, that Paul lists, but that we go back and we center ourselves on what our real love should be. If I'm not loving my God, my Father in heaven, if I'm not loving him, then I will not love well here. So when we go through these lists, and we put our names there when instead of love we say, well, Lyle is patient and kind, which is probably not true. But if that's the case, then I need to ask myself, well, why is Lyle not patient and kind? Maybe it's because I'm not passionately in love with my Heavenly Father. And that relationship is somehow stunted with something. Maybe I have sin in my life or there's something. So Paul, I think at the end of the day, is asking us to turn back when we see deficiencies in our love life, in our Christian love life, is calling us back to here, saying, are you in love with Christ like you were in the beginning? So think about those two things. Our hearts are changed. They're formed and molded to receive God's love, but that love only flourishes as we die to self. Are you dying to self daily? Outside of that, this love just sort of becomes maybe performance. Or we don't do it at all. So think about those things. So, 
Let's read. I'm going to read the entire chapter just to get our context here, but we'll actually uh, pick up then um, where it says, love does not behave itself unseemly. Verse 5, that's where we're going to really begin um, the message on. So I'm going to read the entire chapter and follow along. Verse 1 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... The King James Version says charity. That's another word for love. I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my bodies to be burned and have not charity or love, it really profiteth me nothing. Because... In verse 4, charity or love suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, and charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Verse 5 is where we'll start today. It doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things, it believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, Charity or love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For now we see through a glass darkly. Oops, I missed verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Selfless love. Christian love is a selfless kind of love. Let's look at the first one, verse 5. And we're just going to go down through that systematically and help us just think through what this kind of love does and how it operates. The first one that we want to look at in verse 5, it says, this kind of love, this kind of Christ-like love, the love that is in your hearts this morning as Christians, this kind of love says, does not behave itself unseemly. Or we could say, it is not unbecoming in its actions, attitudes, or behavior. It's not rude. Now, we're all here this morning, Christians, most of us are, and my question is right away to me, well, who, what kind of Christian would be rude and unbecoming or behave in such a way that would just not be uh, an example of Christ? What kind of Christian? And probably most of us would say, well, yeah, no, that's not how we live. I mean, we can maybe... Point at a couple people in our past or what we sort of acquaintances that we know are like, yeah, well, I'm not sure about that person. You know, the character we, we know, there, there's some, some character issues there. But is it true that for many of us, and, and I'm speaking for myself, the attitude of the heart really can sometimes be right there. Or 
thoughts are those kind of thoughts. Unbecoming to a Christian, unseemly, it's rude in its behavior. Our Western culture has made um, being rude, <coughs> disrespectful, um, unbecoming behavior, uh, rude attitudes. <coughs> Excuse me. Our, our Western culture has glorified those kind of attitudes. You think about it. You think about when you look at the news, you read stories or whatever, it's okay to dress in a rude way. It's okay to be rude to other people to, for your cause or to, to voice your opinion. It's, it's, it's okay. Our Western culture says, yes, assert yourself in whatever way you need to so that, and often it's very unbecoming, very rude. We can dress it in a way that is not, is unbecoming. And Paul is saying, when we're Christians, that's not, that's, that doesn't demonstrate the love of Christ in us. Rather, he says, and here's, here's a list of things that I think we should think about if we're going to be those kind of people who are not rude, who don't, don't behave themselves unseemly, but rather we look at it this way. This is the way it should be manifested in our lives as Christians. We will have good manners. We will strive to have good manners. This is a basic thing, okay, that we actually have good manners, and a lot of you have little children. And so teaching them good manners is important. How do you, how do you respond to um, authority? How do you respect mom and dad? How do you behave at the table? How do you behave? It's all of those manners that we're, we're talking, virtues that we're talking about. It causes me, when I have this kind of love, it causes me to dress respectfully. I cover my body. I'm respectful, not only to myself, but to others when I do that. I will be courteous to others. I will allow others to go ahead of me. I will be kind. When someone drops something, I'll pick it up. Even when I'm in a hurry and annoyed. Okay? None of us get in a hurry and annoyed, I know. But there's something about when we're in a hurry and we have a deadline to meet or whatever and inevitably something happens and what, what goes through our mind? <clears throat> or do we say, sure, I'll, I'll be patient, I'll help what I can and then move on. Or is it the other way around? Christian love will act with tact and be sensitive to how others are feeling. Are you tactful this morning? Are you sensitive to what others may be thinking and feeling in your conversations? Sometimes we get into some, some discussions that sort of make us come up for air. Are you tactful? Christian love says that we are not unbecoming in those times. Are we sensitive to how others may be feeling? Are you gracious with your words and in your spirit? Are your words kind towards others who disagree with you? Christians will not try to take advantage of others. I know 
over the years, I've been aware of some individuals, Christians, who, who seemingly always got the good end of the, the deal. They always, they always made sure they got the good end of the deal. And um, there's something about that that always sets sideways for me. Like, I don't think we have to be foolish and, and, and unwise in business or in whatever, but neither do we have to always manipulate it so that I get the best deal. What if it would be a blessing if the other person would also get a good deal? What if I would look at it that way? Like, I'm not the only one in this deal, or I'm not the only one. And so just think about that. We're not, we're not unbecoming. We're not about ourselves. Uh, we don't take advantage of others in their time, their money, or their possessions. This kind of love motivates us to be reverent and respectful and attentive in worship. And so all those are things that we can think about, and especially you parents. Now, I know your children aren't Christians yet. But we do teach those things so that when they come to that place of accountability, they understand, oh, yes, no, there is a respect. Mom and dad have demonstrated this. This is how Christ moves in them and so on and so forth. They, they connect the dots even if you don't specifically connect it for them. Something on this first thing, that I, the final thing here on this first point that I'd like for us to really, really consider, when we are rude and unbecoming, in our behavior and attitudes, we hurt our testimony for Christ. Okay? Our, our testimony for Christ is damaged. We become less effective for him as we endeavor to reach out to those around us. It shuts down brotherhoods in churches and is devastating in those kind of relationships when we become unbecoming or rude in our attitude, or even the way we talk. Second thing we want to look at, number two, it says it does not seek her own. Love does not seek her own. Or, it is not preoccupied with yourself. And this is a big one for a lot of us. Are you preoccupied with yourself? There's a passage in Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 35 to 41. I'm not going to turn to that, but I'll recount the, you'll, you'll recognize it. This is the, this is the account where uh, the apostles were together. It's right before Jesus was crucified, and Jesus had just said, look, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to, I'm going to have to die. And, and, and the disciples, there were two disciples that were more concerned about themselves. And, and they, they went to Jesus and said, hey, we've got a request for you. And he said, okay, what is it? And he said, well, when you come into your glory, would you make sure that, that my brother and I can sit on either side of you in your glory when you, when you come up? And Jesus sort of rebukes them and says, well, you don't have no idea really what you're talking about because, and furthermore, it's not up to me. My father is in charge of that. And if you read down to the end of that, to verse 41, it literally says that the rest of the disciples were pretty upset like these self-centered, egotistical guys were asking to be put into places, positions of authority, essentially. 
Well, what about us? So they all end up being a little bit self-centered. You understand what's going on here? When we become self-centered, self-focused, it so easily triggers the self-centeredness in others, right? It's a fascinating little passage, little story there that just sort of, just sort of explains exactly what happens. But Paul says to the Corinthian church and to us today that Christian love is not that way. We are not concerned about ourselves. Now that's easier said than done, right? It's so easy to be very self-centered. I came across a quote that said, the secret of every discord in Christian homes, Christian communities, and churches is that we seek our own way and we seek our own glory. We should instead allow the love of God to flow in us and change us and die to ourselves continually so that we actually seek the good of others before we seek the good of ourselves. How easy is it for you to acknowledge the well-being and focus on the well-being of others before yourself? Love refuses to insist on my rights and my freedoms. And Christian love fights against individualistic attitudes and actions, but rather seeks to build up and gets involved with others in the group. Christian love, Christ-like love, refuses to become cliquish. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Do you know what it means to be cliquish? I used to hate it. I still hate it. I, there was nothing more frustrating to me than some of the years at Bible school, teaching at Bible school, when there was just five or six young people that they just had to be together. Exclusively. clickish. It doesn't seek our own comfort and our own benefits. It endeavors to have a servant spirit. Are you a servant this morning? Something that I've been contemplating quite a bit the last while is what does it mean to have a servant what does it really mean to, to serve as unto the Lord? Christian love reshapes our hearts so that we want to serve others. So those are some things you want to think about. Am I serving with a good attitude, a loving heart that wants to serve others? And does it need doesn't need any recognition. I don't need any recognition. I don't need to, to have your, your approval or applause or whatever. 
I do it because I love my Heavenly Father. And out of that, my changed heart, I am serving. It's a natural, it becomes a natural thing when we die to self on a daily basis. And the dying to self is a difficult thing, but it's a necessary thing. <clears throat> the third thing we want to look at here is love is not easily provoked. Love is not easily provoked. Or we could just simply say, love doesn't get angry very quickly. Christian love has a really long fuse. Is your fuse long this morning or is it short? Are you hot-headed and defensive? Or are you calm? Sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are just really, really difficult. Relationships that test us, things that happen that test us, and our fuse is short, and we say things, or we think things, or we act in such a way that betrays our Christian love. Often when that happens, I don't know if you do this, but I see it happening in my own life, and I've observed it in my children's life and I've observed it in other people's lives that we work with just because that's where we're at. When we become angry and frustrated, our, our fuse is short. Let's, let's say that I, Jeff and I just, just really butted heads with something. We just really did. We just, there was just conflict. And I got, my fuse was short and I, and I was not happy. What I will tend to do is I will maybe go talk to someone else about it. And this is what I'll say. If Jeff would have just, whatever. And if Jeff would have just, no, no. Jeff is not the problem. I am the problem. You see how quickly when we, we, we point the finger to someone else or to something else and say, well, that's the problem. When the reality is my love is really, really shallow. Somebody else's fault. If he just wouldn't be here, I would, I would never get mad. If that person just wasn't here, I just wouldn't get mad. Really? No, it's not the way it is. What if Jesus comes to you and says, Lord, you just not be mad. You just trust me with this whole thing. And maybe you could grow. You would die to yourself. You would grow in that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 and 23 says this about Jesus, who is our example. Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found, found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Maybe we just need to learn to commit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and die to ourselves. 
The reason anger, selfish anger, is so devastating is because when we get angry and we act out in our anger or we even think in our anger, we misrepresent God's character. That's why it's so dangerous, so devastating. We, rep- we misrepresent our Heavenly Father's character. When we are easily angered, we hurt others, and our words and actions become divisive. It never, ever draws people together when we become angry. When we become angry, when we're an angry person, we invite conflict. You know people like that. They're just constantly angry. Everything's wrong. It's just like conflict comes to their doorstep. Like it's just always there. So think about that. Think about that. An angry person is self-focused. And when I'm angry, it is difficult for me to think rationally. Small problems become big problems. They become exaggerated. And always, in anger, there are misunderstandings. Think about that. Are you quickly angered? James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Hmm. The fourth thing we want to look at this morning, real quick. Love thinketh no evil. It is not resentful, and it keeps no record of wrong. Are you a resentful person this morning? Are, are there areas in your life, things that you, that you know that bring, that bring resentment to your heart? Are there things that bring resentment to your heart? I had to think of this. We're all familiar with this because this is the age we live in. We live in the digital age. We, we store everything. All the data that is important to us in our businesses, even in our homes, our whatever, our bank accounts, everything, our pictures, everything is stored on digital flash drives, thumb drives, SD cards, hard drives, external hard drives, computers, all of those things we're so familiar with. It all stores things that are important to us. Why? So that at some point when we really need it, we can go back and find it and then it's helpful to us, whether it's a picture, whether it's data that we need for our, the work we're doing, or whether it's our bank account, it is helpful to us. We store things so that we can go back and use it to make our job easier or to help us remember something. Isn't that the way it is in our own hearts? When our love with, for our Heavenly Father is slow, we have these video clips in our minds that are connected to our hearts. We have this library of videos that if we're not careful, at a certain point, something happens and it triggers our memory of what happens. And we go back to that library and we pull out that video and we 
pray that can be some hurt, something that happened to us that was painful, or someone did something to us, or this or that. And we replay that entire video clip in our mind until that very spot that we stopped right there. And we sit there and think and mull it over and mull it over. Think of no evil. Love. Think of no evil. Doesn't hold a grudge. How many of us have that kind of library in our hearts? You know what, friends? I have had a number of those where you just have to go back and throw that thing out. You have to get rid of that thing because love does not flourish in that kind of thing. All that does is it makes us go back to ourselves and protect ourselves and poor me. They did this to me. I can't believe they said that about me and I know this is what they're thinking about me. I can't face them or whatever it is. It hurts too much. And we sort of like to keep it there for those special occasions when something triggers that again and we go back and muddle-puddle in that thing again. Our love does not grow when we muddle-puddle in those kind of things. We keep track of the pain, the things that were done to us, and, and there are things. We all face things. We all have experienced things that are not pleasant, that were hurtful, and all of that. But love, it says, does not keep record. Love doesn't keep record. Jesus is our example. Because scripture teaches us that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. And then in another passage it says, they are, he doesn't even remember our sins. They're gone, like as far as the east is from the west. And we understand what that means. He doesn't remember them anymore. He keeps no record. He keeps no record. How many records are we keeping? Love doesn't do that. Why? Because love, when, when, when our love, when we, when we want God so desperately, we love him so thoroughly, there is no room for this self. It doesn't want to flourish. So we have to die daily and allow that love to flourish. Something else to just kind of help us understand this thing is, and I don't know if you, you guys, as a, as a boy, I would read books. And you would, well, I loved Westerns. Don't tell anybody, but I did. I still kind of like Westerns sometimes. But when the Indians would raid, you know, a camp or a village or something, they would scout. scalps, like they literally cut the round and pulled your scalp off with all your hair on it. There you have it. That was their trophy. The more scalps you had, the more important you became in the tribe. But it was also a reminder that you had enemies out there. So when you had that scalp, Or their enemies knew that they, they took scalp from them and they saw all those. It, 
Sometimes that's the way we are, but love doesn't do that. Love does not keep record. Number five. Number five. <clears throat> Let me see here. Love thinketh no evil, is not easily, or doesn't, doesn't become resentful. That's the one we just looked at. Doesn't become resentful, doesn't hold a grudge. Number five, love does not rejoice in iniquity. It does not like wrongdoing or evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Do you, do you enjoy iniquity? I don't, I trust you don't. But is it true that sometimes our hearts are our selfishness, our wickedness comes out sometimes and we sort of enjoy some mood like the westerns that I just read a lot, you know, we sort of like that. Or movies. Or even, even news articles sort of catch your attention. The killings, the destruction, all of Love doesn't rejoice in those kind of things. It sees it for what it is, a brokenness, and it weeps over those things. What do you rejoice in this morning? Do you rejoice in the misfortunes of someone that you really don't like? Does it feel good when calamity comes to those people? You might not say it, but in your heart you say, well, that must be God's judgment on them. Well, they made their nest. Now they can lie in it. Hmm. I've been guilty of saying that. Instead, we should weep. We should mourn the loss, the tragedy, and that God would be merciful to them. You see, that's how Christ does for us. Does our heart delight in gossip, slander, and juicy tidbits? Iniquity, bad things. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Simple. There's another quote that says, What a man rejoices in is a fair test of his character. What a man rejoices in is a fair test of his character. It really does display what kind of character I have. The sixth and final thing that we want to look at here. Love rejoices in the truth. So we just looked at this. Love does not, rejo or love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it loves truth. It rejoices and enjoys truth. I trust that's your heart this morning. Righteous behavior is sort of the idea here. Do you love righteous behavior? Someone said that truth and righteousness are welded together in faith. And when we see righteousness being lived or demonstrated or talked about, does our heart light up? Do we light up in those kind of, with those kind of things? Do you delight in truth? When truth is upheld and righteousness is proclaimed, do you rejoice? 
Love cannot rejoice in truth when truth is denied. When you see truth being denied, and we see it all over the world today, they say things that are false and make them to be true. We should, we cannot rejoice in those kind of things. Our spirit does not, does not rejoice in those kind of things. And rightly so, because the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit enables us to rejoice in truth. Do you rejoice with righteous people? It's something that bothers me a little bit in today's Christian circles. Is there seems to be a disdain towards people who want to live righteous lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just a little bit of, well, you need to be careful. Be careful about your heart attitude. Not everybody that has buddy done is actually buddy done. They are actually in love with the Lord and they want to live out the best they can, the best they understand. Love rejoices in the truth. Paul says that when the love of Christ invades our hearts, we will rejoice in and with all things that are true. Philippians 4.8, we know this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue... If there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. And brothers and sisters, friends this morning, when we love well, then we will be known as Christians. For by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word that speaks to us. Oh, it speaks to our frailty. It speaks to our, the, 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 the areas in our lives that are deficient. And sometimes, Father, we just, we're, we're just not sure that we're, we, we know how to love well. And so would you help us to understand what needs to happen with, my, with our relationship with you so that we can love well. Help us to die to self. Just crucify that. And even in the middle of some conflicts, can we just stop and crucify it? Father, we need your help. I just pray a blessing on this group. As they think about loving well, First of all, here and then out there, and what it looks like, and what it feels like, what it, what it, what the actions are. Would you enable them and empower them to do that? We commit them to you. Would you watch over us now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.